not attempt to adjust your podcast. We are in control. Welcome to Big Nerdy Questions. I know I don't sound like Josh, because I'm mad. Today we're going to be having uh, an episode about gaming, but not just any gaming. The question is, are video games or tabletop games more immersive? And to answer that question, we have a crack panel of experts and also nerds. So we have our normal host, Josh, who did escape from my basement yet again. I confound you once again, Trebek. Oh, wait, that was a few years ago. Continue. JP? I uh, am, uh, just for clarity, am I an expert or a nerd on this episode? Yes. Okay. Rachel? Hello. Returning, you may remember him from our Hanvolt Solo versus Indiana Jones episode, Kenneth. Still belongs in a museum, and I've got two and a half degrees to prove it. <laughs> and our special guest today, Tom. I don't, I don't have anything funny to say. <laughs> but you do have credentials in this field, sir, which you can introduce now. Oh, oh, I do. This is true. Um, I am a reviewer for Game Night Magazine, and I have a monthly uh, column on abstract strategy games there as well. Nice. Yeah. So it truly is a crack panel of experts and nerds. Well, well assembled, Matt. I'm calling. I'm going to call you Nick Fury. <laughs> wow. As long as I get to be the Sam Jackson one. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, this is normally the part of the episode where we throw it to Matt for the sponsorship, but it would be super weird to throw it to myself, so I'm just going to do that. Plus, you probably <laughs> drop it anyway. <laughs> That's harsh. So, today's episode is brought to you by Bolt from the Blue. For immediate headache relief, try Blue Bolt. Blue Bolt. Apply directly to the min-max. (laughs) (laughs) Did did I hit the gazebo with it? Gazebo. I shoot an arrow at it. (laughs) Now there's a gazebo with an arrow sticking out of it. (laughs) (laughs) And as we've mentioned in our last couple episodes, we have the exciting development of having an actual real sponsor who's giving us money. And we announced and, last and, week that it was Fleetwit.com, and Matt is here with a brand new segment. That's right. So, to thank our sponsors for giving us money, uh, we've developed a new segment called The Question of the Week, where the host asks a quiz question, the panelists answer it, and then we roll an ad. So, for our inaugural question... We have a we have a multiple choice question relevant to our topic of the day. Panelists, are you ready for your question? Yes. Indeed. Hit me. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And I'm going to go to you each one at a time to get your answers. All right. But uh, I'm not going to have Rachel answer since she's sitting literally right next to me. So, you know, the information's up on my screen. Of course. (laughs) So, which of the following video games is not set in the universe of a tabletop RPG? Is it Neverwinter Nights, Shadowrun Hong Kong, Myst, or Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines? Ooh. 
as it is your podcast, Josh, I would like to get your answer first. Okay. Um, I am torn between B and C. They both seem like they could have been created for properties for games. But I think that Myst was one of the first innovative point-and-click games that... I mean, the the environment for Myst is well-developed, but I think that Myst was created as a test platform for what computer gaming could do. So my guess is Myst. C. Okay. JP. When you read the questions out, um, I, I actually had never heard of the vampire one. Which I'm kind of embarrassed to say that. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to actually go with Josh on this one. Uh, Mist, to me, sounds like the, uh, the, the surprise answer that you, you, just, you hear it and you go, Oh, wow, Mist? Really? Yeah, okay. So uh, that's why I'm choosing Mist. No intelligent reason, just an educated guess. Kenneth. I've played the other three games. Tabletop version. Missed. C. Okay. Tom? There was a, a tabletop game of Missed. Seriously? I, yes, there was. I've seen it in a thrift store. I took a look at it because I loved Missed. And it was it was the first of the video games that I just fell into and couldn't get out of for days. And I opened it up in the thrift store and took a look at it, and it was just as bad as you would expect it to be. <laughs> um, so I passed on it. I'm I'm going to take a guess at the vampire game. Well, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines is based on the. Tabletop RPG Vampire the Masquerade, which was released in 1991. The the video game was released in 2003. I'm sorry, 2004. All right. Neverwinter Nights is set in the Forgotten Realms of Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. Dungeons & Dragons, of course, came out in 1974. All hail Gary Gygax. All hail. All hail. All hail. Shadowrun Hong Kong is set in the Shadowrun universe which has been around since 1989 when the first edition of the book came out. Mm-hmm. Mist is actually inspired by Jules Verne's 1874 novel, The Mysterious Island, and was considered one of the first killer apps for CD-ROM. And then the tabletop game came as, up as a result of the, the game. The tabletop yeah. game is based on the computer game. Oh, right. wow. That's true. That's true. Okay. That's true. Yep. That works. That was fascinating. Where can Indeed. we find more fascinating questions, JP? That's right, Josh. Uh, with hundreds of categories to choose from, including general knowledge, film, history, sports, and even brain teaser puzzles like like uh, crosswords and word searches, Fleetwit is certain to have something you like. On Fleetwit, you can compete in accuracy and speed-based trivia races for a chance to win real prizes. It's like having a 24-7 game show at your fingertips, and it's playable on computers and mobile devices alike at fleetwit.com. Apple users can also find it in the App Store. Josh? And you should be able to, um, actually, each weekday and some weekends, there are free flash races. So you can test out the waters and see if you like it. Uh, And then if you like it, you should uh, obviously buy into Fleetwit. And you, too, can beat Ken Jennings in a quiz like I did several weeks ago. 
Just rubbing it in. Of course, I, I happened to read the, the one that didn't mention the free races, so my bad, Fleetwood. Sorry. No, no, I, I just wanted to mention that because obviously it is a pay. You have to pay for credits, mm-hmm. but you do get more credits if you win, obviously. So it's it's based on your skill uh, and, and your trivia, and you choose which field you want to be in. But the flash races pay $50 or more to the person who gets first place, uh, and they're free to enter. So you can go to fleetwit.com and see when their next flash race is scheduled. Thursdays are always throwback Thursdays. Fridays are usually the movies, and Mondays are almost always the past week in the news. I have a question about Fleetwit. Yes, indeed. Does it matter what place you get, or is only first place paid out? Oh no! On on well, on the flash race, they usually have payouts for the for, for the top seventy, uh, oh, okay. ranging from fifty dollars to one dollar. Uh, now on the other races, it depends. If it's a one on one race, only the winner wins. If it's if it's like one out of five, then it might be the top two. If it's one out of ten or more, then it's usually two or three. So they they have a distribution, but only the first place person gets it if it's a one on one versus one or one out of four. Other than that, it's a distribution. So on a flash race, for example, uh, if there's there's typically about 400 to 500 entrants per flash race. And uh, I have actually placed in top 70, I'd say about eight times. And I've used that to play other quizzes on the website. Uh, and one time I actually got in the top 30. So I just want you to know that when she went to ask her question, she actually raised her hand. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's showing proper etiquette. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Well, I do believe we have one more quick segment left before we get into the meat of the question. So before we get to to the big turkey leg that we're going to carry around the Ren Fair, Kenneth, I believe you have a big nerdy recommendation for us. Indeed, I do, Matthew. I... I imagine I would be hard pressed to find a nerd who has not. I at think you'd some... be find it easy to find a nerd in this group <laughs> who has not at some point dreamed of building the perfect spaceship or the imperfect spaceship and flying it into a fiery death. Fortunately for us, Space Engineers by Keen Software House does in fact allow you just that chance. It is. A relatively immersive, I would argue, shipbuilding simulator in which you construct anything, anything that you so desire to do, and then see if it works. If it doesn't, you still get a fantastic explosion. Um, Modded, it's fantastic, but even unmodded after the recent updates, I would like to note, this is a game that is in its beta test at the moment, Um, so it's still buggy as all get out. But even after the recent update, Unmodded is markedly, markedly enjoyable. You can find it either on the Keen Software House main page or on Steam. Typically, it goes on sale for, like, 20 bucks. And functionally, it is Legos, but the spaceships actually fly. Theoretically, around in your hand. Yes. You could create a Death Star with TIE Fighters versus Enterprise with Shuttle match in Space Engineers. What's this you could create? I've done it. Wow. Oh. <laughs> and what came out victorious, sir? <sighs> Enterprise versus Death Star. Functional Death Star hit the Enterprise with a very lucky shot. So, yeah. Ah. I- I'm going to have to give that one purely to luck and placement, but, yeah. They aim one big thing. <laughs> Precisely. 
It rolled a natural 20. Mm. That's a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank Speaking you. of D20s, it, it's time for the big question. We are asking, with immersion, is it better for a video game or a tabletop to pull you into that world and make you feel and just have that complete involvement of your mind? So the way we're going to do that is we're going to do three three segments. The first is going to be called Inside the Dungeon Master's Mind, where we are going to have the panelists who have been DMs before discuss what makes for a successful immersion and what elements make particular games more engaging for participants. Our second segment are, is going to be focused on video gaming and people who like to play video games equally with tabletop games to discuss what makes video games engrossing, whether it be story, character, or other elements that may or may not exist within the tabletop world. And then we'll close with all the panelists discussing the comparison between the mediums and which is more effective in immersion. And I think real quick, Matt, I know that Tom had wanted... um all of us to like just very briefly uh, say what our experiences are in the two major fields of play in this episode. Yeah, just so I have some idea of, of where everybody is. All right. Well, uh, the a big portion of the reason that I'm the one hosting this particular episode mm-hmm. is one I. It's my first time hosting, and it's been a long time coming, and I really should have done this like a season and a half ago. But uh, <laughs> also, I have been playing uh, tabletop RPGs since uh, 1991 when Vampire the Masquerade came out. Uh, I started with my older brother playing Vampire the Masquerade, then uh, Werewolf came out and I started playing that, and then I went to Big Eye Small Mouth, and then... I played Big Eye Small Mouth up through about 2006 before I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And I've been both a player and a DM for Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, so, Rachel, what's your... Well, I actually started um, Tabletop back in, I want to say, around 1998. Uh, it was a Batman RPG for life of me. I don't remember the details on it. It might be out of print now. Uh and I was actually in a uh, tabletop RPG gaming club in high school, and uh, I DM'd on and off and on for two years uh, in that, and also, uh, you know, just fun games at the local gaming store, uh, Big Eye Small Mouth. I also occasionally played in a couple RPGs at the time. Uh, I didn't really start d and I kind of got thrust into second edition there for a bit, and I blissfully do not remember how that went except for poorly <laughs> and <laughs> that's not an issue you want to just get thrust into uh and then i also would dm uh some fun games uh of a uh, final fantasy rpg that was entirely created online uh not not uh published in any fashion and then uh i've also played a dnd uh mostly 3.5 and some 5.0 at my local game store i have not yet run a D&D game, but I would like to. Kenneth? All right. I received my introduction, blissful introduction, I would say, to tabletop gaming in 2006 with Dungeons & Dragons version 3.5. Have played it 
more times and more years than I could count, than I care to count, I should say, I suppose. Um, had a brief, brief encounter with D&D V4.0. We will not discuss that further. No need. Um, I which shall not be named. Mm, verily, verily. There was 4.0, what? Mm. <laughs> Fortunately, one. also known as D&D Vista. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. wow. Or 8.1. It was flat out Windows ME, okay? Windows ME Microsoft was playable. Bob. It's more Vista. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, no. Fortunately, my college roommates came along and introduced me to Pathfinder, which effectively is 3.5+. plus. Mm-hmm. And from there, I have advanced to and rather fallen in love with version 5.0. I have... DM'd for 3.5 and Pathfinder. Haven't run a game for 5.0 yet, but have played in, yeah, all of those. As well as dabbling just a bit with the Vampire's Bloodlines and, or um, Vampire's the Masquerade, rather, and Shadowrun. More watch than play, but I've played a short run in each. And JP? I'm here, too. And <laughs> Josh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think JP and I are more of video gamers. We we have played tabletop a little bit, I would say, but not C- nearly, not nearly to the same extent. Uh, not for lack of interest, but for various other circumstances and and reasons. But uh, I I know I know the mechanics of tabletop, and I've played a few sessions. Uh, but I'm definitely coming to this podcast. Well, I'm on every episode, uh, uh, the ones I'm even not an expert on. But uh, because the the I, I'm the comfort blanket, but also I I am a pretty big <laughs> RPG video gamer, uh, and I will be coming in much more in part two. But I believe it's now time, Matt, for the inside the dungeon master's mind segment, which I will recuse myself from. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, I have uh, I've DM'd a little bit, and I know Rachel has DM'd, and Kenneth has played extensively. I DM'd a campaign or two. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think what I'll do is I'm going to start with Tom because he is our guest. And the question for Inside Dungeons Master's mind is, what elements do you as a DM think make a particular campaign successful and engaging for your players? And when you're doing world building or designing the campaign, where do you strike that balance between your vision for the story and the freedom of the players to kind of write their own story. Okay. Um, I'm going to take a slight step back from all of this, just to start with, because I think one of the things that makes D&D so immersive and so compelling is its narrative structure. We're talking about a very different type of storytelling here. If uh, When I'm writing a book, I'm writing my vision of a world, and when you get it in your hands, you're going to read it, you're going to have your imagination constructing what I've written, and you're going to bring the characters to life in the settings and such, but it's still a relatively passive um, interaction for the reader. 
in D&D, what you're doing is, is really a cooperative storytelling. Um, the dungeon master, a good dungeon master, will have enough of a plot, enough of settings and um, action available to the characters, but it's not up to the DM to decide what happens. The, the characters, the other players, are the ones who take that story, that seed of a story, that story idea, and decide what they're going to do with it. And that's part of what, what makes D&D unique in all of game playing. You've got the ability to pretty much, as, as long as the DM is, is willing and flexible and can improvise well enough, to do pretty much whatever you want to do. And that's that cooperative real-time exploration of an imaginary setting that you're all constructing together um, is, I think, one of the most immersive ways of telling a story and really of, of, of playing and interacting with people that you're going to find. So, eh, that's, that's the first thing. Um, when I'm coming up with a campaign for people, I, I've been playing with the same group for a while now, I know their personalities. I know what they like. I know some things they don't like. I'm going to try to avoid too much of what they don't like. Um, my group is... Um, we've been friends for a long time. I know their sense of humor. So I try to put in a lot of fun things, some funny things, some things that I know that they're going to understand the references to outside of the game. Um, but I also know that <laughs> they they know me well enough to be able to go, all right, he's obviously pointing us towards this whatever it is. I don't think we're going to go there. I think we're going to go over this way. <laughs> and, uh, okay, that's fine. And there are times when, uh, depending on my mood, I'd let them get away with it without any problems. And there are times when, yeah, okay, I'll punish them <laughs> for doing something that makes me think too hard on a night I don't want to think too hard. Um, but... I mean, the, the, the biggest, I, I think the biggest thing that a DM has to bring to the table is the ability to be flexible and just make stuff up and be willing to improvise. And yes, some of it's going to work and some of it's not going to work, but that's all part of the agreement that we make when we sit down at an RPG. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, we know the dice aren't going to always roll our way. And sometimes the stories do and don't work. Next. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Kenneth, what, what what are what are your opinions on developing immersion and interacting with your players as a DM? I would say I would say the most important thing in actually developing a world, a universe, a story is yes, I quite agree, the flexibility, the ability to not only for them to respond to you, but for you to respond directly to them. Um, just the openness, the the degree of freedom that a pen and paper RPG can allow you as a DM and can allow your players to input into the universe. You are all working together to tell this story, and what comes of it, what comes of it is a re- direct result of your interaction with the players and vice versa. Um, so make something, make something engaging, make something that people want to hear about. Don't don't just make a story about going 
shopping. Or if you do make a story about going shopping, it had better be a very interesting shopping trip. Actually, I've done that a time or two, and that was that was a fun one. The world was burning by the time we were finished. But <laughs> so um, it was about Black Friday. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. Well played. Black, Actions, Black Friday with a uh, with a warlock. Anyway. But make it engaging, make it interesting, but don't don't hold too much of a vice grip over it. Yes, it is your story, but allow them a little bit of freedom to play along with it. Let them shape it and mold the world to what the players are doing. Let them have a direct impact on what happens. I would argue that is a definition of immersion. You are actually living in this world. Your actions matter to the denizens of this world and to the outcome of events, both major and minor. You can decide a war. You can decide who's going to be running a small town. You can decide what you're having for breakfast that day. All of these things will add up and matter in the end. And if I may... Go go ahead. No, I was going to say that the one thing I would would say to that is it really isn't your story. setting. You're setting the foundation. You're setting... You're basically giving... The introduction to an outline, and yeah. your I, abil- the, the the more you hold to the idea of it's your story, the less fun it's going to be for everybody else. And I understand what you're saying that you're really not doing that. You you yeah, are having. I to I, I misspoke. It's That's it's your right. um your environment, your universe, if you will, that you are introducing them to as the dungeon master. But functionally, you're plopping them down and saying, "Okay, here, live." Right. So yes, um, and. Yeah. That, that was a misspeak on my part. Well, but yes. I, and a strong point that I think, um, just to make here, even though I've recused myself, I did want to uh, ask Tom to relate his anecdote for what happened when one of his players recently decided that his role of 18 on a wisdom check was actually <laughs> 81. Because I think it's really illust- it's a good illustration of the kind of flexibility that both of you are talking about. Right. So, so this past week... Um, the, uh, the the one character, and, and again, we're we're old friends. We we laugh as much as as we do anything else when we're playing. Um, he rolled a d twenty, and the way he looked at it, it, he said, "Oh, I rolled an eighty one." And I said, "Okay, you rolled an eighty one on a wisdom check. Okay, that means you something something incredible had to have happened, and now your character is stoned out of his mind for the rest of the night." <laughs> And to his credit, he played that character stoned out of his gourd for the rest of the night, and it was some of the most fun we've had in a long time. But you had no clue going into the night you'd have a stoned character. Oh no, 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 no. I, I had no. I mean, he he rolled. He said an eighty-one, and I just. It's one of those things where if and my characters, my, my my players will do this sometime. They'll just say something odd that catches my, you know, sparks that imagination. And I roll with it, and they know I'm not going to do anything real mean and evil. But, uh, yeah, okay, so be stoned for the night. And actually, he had the most fun with it because he was able to do something he's always wanted to do as one of his characters that he never had a good excuse to. So he kind of created some fantasy lights and just played with them and looked at them for several rounds while everybody else was trying to not get killed. (laughs) So, there you go. Well, and that's what keeps it... I would argue that that is the entire reason people continue to DM in a game. Because 
I have always found it is just that little bit more fun to actually be there directly interacting with the environment. But as the dungeon master, the fact that you have to keep track, that you have to watch and respond to any mm-hmm. little intricacy, that keeps you engaged, that keeps you involved. And events like that, where, where the player will just do something off the wall and you decide, you know what, I'm going to let you roll with it. Mm-hmm. Sure, it could cause chaos down the road. Oftentimes it does, but half the fun is getting there. Sure. Yeah. We and, were playing and, in a campaign once that Rachel was DMing, and uh, one, of the, one of the players in the campaign was playing a ninja, and there was one more player character than there were beds in the inn. So uh, what, what was it that, that, that he tried to do? He wanted to sleep on the ceiling. And I told him if he got a nat 20, he could do it, and he got a nat 20. Ta-da. So he slept on the ceiling. And uh, the band was well-rested in the morning. Yeah, that was a character who had either nat 20s or crit fails. I mean, he, 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 ended, <laughs> he ended up cutting his own Achilles tendon with a throwing knife because he got two crit fails in a roll. <laughs> and I said, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. But, uh, other DMs would have had you dead, so uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna make this totally bungled. And yeah. you know there was there was a white mage in the party, so things turned out okay. But they they got they had to add another day to their trek because they totally screwed up that whole fight, and that's totally fine. Um, I may have been in that party, but I was not the ninja. Yes, and I want to go ahead and mention real quick, just because it happens a lot. Uh, I I've, I have. Uh, DM'd with my husband playing, and he has DM'd with me playing. And let me tell you, the whole "oh, you're going to be nice to your spouse" thing. No, she's not. No, you got to <laughs> oh, be no. extra cruel. You uh-huh. got to be you because just like just like George R. R. Martin, you, you you put your favorite characters through hell, see what they come up with. And right. so, uh, well, yeah. As philosophers that, of our time once said, it's cruel to be kind in the right measure. It's cruel yes. to be kind. It's the very design. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to be a little extra cruel. Uh, for one reason, because it's fun. You like needling your spouse. <laughs> Two, you want to make absolutely sure that you're not accidentally doing some sort of bias. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, what are, what are your opinions on the topic? Well, pretty much everybody's covered uh, everything so far. I just want to add a couple additional things. One, um... Again, flexibility is important. Like, when I plan things, I have, like, an A, a B, a C, and a D. And they fill in the how to get from A to B, B to C, etc. And we've we've had, oh, heck, I've had basically what I would call, like, a filler episode. I've had, like, a filler episode, like, session where everybody insisted if they went to this temple, they would figure out some information and I had nothing about this table, and everybody insisted they wanted to do it. So basically, it was this entirely off-the-wall filler episode <laughs> of them trying to cross-dress in an all-female temple to get information. And they were stealing clothes, and it got really awkward, and it was absolutely hilarious. I kind of let them know, you know, I'm not sure this will be terribly productive, but screw it. Let's go with it. And they knew they knew they were – I mean, I still get XP and everything. Like, they knew they were going to get any, like – massive drops of knowledge but you know it was it was awesome I, i'm glad we kind of we kind of went on that little journey together um but 
because sometimes because you don't want a railroad you know you you have an idea but sometimes it'll go completely different than you planned which is why you don't plan too terribly much and yeah you gotta you gotta kind of improvise a lot because sometimes characters will so it's almost like you you planted a red herring and they fell for it except you didn't plan it so you're like accidental red herring yeah Hashtag accidental right here. So, it, it, good lord, when that happens, it's great. Uh, but you also want to make sure you get your people, you got to give them little pushes every once in a while. Because I've had, let's just say I've had less experienced players or less interested players, and they basically just want to sit around and uh, dance on bars for cash. And I'm like, come on, guys, you know. Uh, so that does occasionally happen. You'll occasionally get a bad player or a party that's not terribly interested, and you kind of got to push them along a little bit. But it is, it's all about the give and take. And you have to remember, it's not the DM versus the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the players versus the DM. It's not your dragon's going to smoke everybody and ha-ha and all that. No, it's not that. Unless stuff. it's voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, so, yeah, maybe that. But, I mean... Sometimes, I mean, if you want to really fight a really combat-heavy game, maybe maybe a little bit. But most of the time, at least when I DM, it's more stories. And, uh, I, uh, oh, another thing. Rules can be broken. That's the number one rule of any uh, tabletop gaming. You don't like a rule? Throw it out. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes your players want a lawyer. Oh, my God. That is, mm-hmm. no. that is the rules lawyer. Oh, my God. That's the worst thing ever. Um. So what's best is to not, like, strictly adhere to the rules, especially if a rule that just doesn't work for your game or you really, everybody really hates, kind of like Monopoly, you know, you have the free space. You know, everyone kind of agrees on it, and you do that. So uh, I, I would just add that information because I've had, especially in the beginning, I had some crappy games. Like, it, it was definitely mostly my fault. Uh, and you kind of learn a balance, and people kind of... They want to. You have to. You have to get the respect of them, but you also don't want to have that whole the DM versus the players. You know, we knew that 4.0 was going to be bad when lawyer was a class choice. <laughs> <laughs> I take a level in barrister. Oh hell no! <laughs> <laughs> so equity court uh, unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I really do agree with what all has been said so far with uh, especially with the need for flexibility and uh, actually in the last campaign that I DM'd in which in the interest of full disclosure Rachel and Kenneth were both players in that campaign (laughs) Um, I decided to take that flexibility to the extreme and I actually I think it uh, I may be biased because I'm the one who built it, but uh, Kenneth, Rachel, what what do you think of the the campaign we had with just there wasn't actually a story. Instead of writing a preset campaign or story, I built the world and determined how the different characters in the different nations would react to different circumstances. And then the world was simply reacting to the players. Yeah, it was a lot more sandbox. It was a lot more like Skyrim than I would say like a traditional RPG. Uh, you know, so it's a little, yeah, it was a little more sandboxy. It was nice. It was a shorter campaign, so it kind of made sense to be a little freewheeling. Uh, and obviously, length of a campaign really matters. 
Uh, typically, if you're not if you're going to do a six like session campaign, it's not going to end up lasting two years, you know, and you're going to have to like load it. But if you have a set idea of how long you want to do something, it's nice to do some experimentation on different styles as long as everyone's up for it. Which speaking of campaign, go ahead. I was just going to say that I read an article a few weeks ago that I think Guinness has determined the longest single lasting D&D game. There is a group of gentlemen who are still playing a campaign from D&D first version and they've been meeting once a week for what is it? All, nearly 40 years? Over 40 years at this point. Yeah, over 40 years. Yeah, because the first edition came out uh, coming up on 44 years now. I think they may have started the game in, in 81 or something like that, but yeah. it's been it's amazing that they're still doing it. And like, if they're not around or they have to move, they do it somehow on a call, on a call, but they've been doing this for that many years. So there is no uh, maximum length can't of a campaign what level. They are at this point. <laughs> respects to all of them. Yeah. That's, I gotta say that's awesome, but that is my nightmare. <laughs> you know, that is just a nightmare. Oh my God. I can't imagine playing it or doing it. I mean, wow. They but, could not have set out to do that when they started, right? I mean, that... <laughs> oh my God. Kudos to them, but I'm sitting here just cringing with, with how awful I would probably be at that. Or, yeah, wow. <laughs> I can't imagine that they haven't re rolled a couple of times at least for dead characters. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Maybe they have immortal characters. Sorcerer. You already have 754. <laughs> Matt, I would say your campaign actually really highlighted um, some of the most immersive aspects of tabletop pen and paper RPGs in that we truly were. We were just there. We were living the world. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah and, and that's something that uh, because of how much I enjoyed doing it, because I really like world building. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting how my players reacted because instead of, you know, sending them on some grand quest, I introduced them to each other very quickly in a tavern because it's D&D. Pretty much everything starts in a tavern. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they just would get, they got introduced to someone who needed a job done and offered them money. And just, they ran into different NPCs who they could help or harm or tell to go F themselves and just the, the world around them reacted to them. And it was fascinating to watch. And as a DM, I thought it was a lot of fun because I had to be on my toes because I never knew what these players were going to do. Uh, for one thing, uh, two of my players, uh, one being Kenneth, I had never uh, DM'd with them as a player for me before. So I had no idea how either of them was going to react to anything in the world. And we had one moment where uh, Rachel actually, your your anecdote earlier reminded me of when Rachel's character accidentally blinded herself because mm. she used a detect magic spell while facing an illusion, a fifth level illusion that had a ninth level trap behind it. So it lit up so brightly it blinded her for six turns. Yeah, you really don't want the cleric to do that. No. <laughs> no. No. 
But I, I role-played it. It worked, it worked out okay. I was panicking, you know. Like, I was panicking. My character was not. And I got to mention that, too. You are not your character. You've got your genre savvy. You know stuff. Your character doesn't. And mm-hmm. it's nice to kind of play a different role, you know, because it's not in the bedroom, but, you know. <laughs> you're into that, that's your own thing. But you can play, like, a timid character or an adventurous character or something that you're not. And it might be a little awkward from time to time until you kind of get into it, but that's the fun. So can I ask a question for the DMs uh, real quick? Yes, um, I feel like... With video gaming multiplayer, which we'll get to video gaming a little bit more in just a second, if you have a bad multiplayer, it's only going to last a minute or two, and then you have a whole new group, unless you have a, a squad that you go in and fight with together. And in a lot of video games, it is just you and you alone with a single player. Uh, how important is it to actually find a group of people who are on the same wavelength uh, in terms of what to expect, what we want. Like, obviously you want creativity. You want someone who's going to have creative interpretations like 81 or, you know, checking a magic spell. But is there a point when somebody is there and, and it's not the role they're playing, but the person themselves is just not meshing well with the chemistry of the friends? And mm-hmm. beyond the game, it becomes a socially awkward situation that might take away from the immersion. And I don't know... Like, I'm probably too polite of a, of a person to say, look, bro, you're not meshing in. How, um, does that happen? And if so, yes. what do you do to fix it? Yes. Uh, yep. uh, I had a friend of mine invite another person to the game without my knowledge. Uh, let's just say, uh, don't do that, people. For love of God, don't do that. It didn't Plus work. She was DMing. By yeah, the way. I was. I was in the middle. I. I. I think I'd either just started or was about to start. Someone invited someone into my game, and I'm like, I, I didn't know that person, so that didn't go well. So don't do that, people. Uh, and I've had uh, players. One of the easiest way to know if a player themselves is going to be a problem is if you're in a game where you pick an alignment. Okay, you do not want a party of everybody wanting to go do their own thing and all be evil, okay? That's not going to work. The most important thing to know to kind of, like, I guess you could say you're even, like, interviewing the the, the player, the, the, the real person, to figure out what kind of character they're going to play and how they're going to mesh with the party. They have to want to be in a party. They have, they don't, you don't want them backstabbing people or stealing their stuff or setting, setting a druid's forest on fire and destroying and causing genocide. Okay, yes, we were in a game where someone did that. Uh, and they couldn't take the hint. He only burned a continent to the ground. He couldn't take the hint. So what we actually had to do, uh, this is really bad, and I hope I never have to, we never have to do it again. We actually had to tell the person the game had ended. And so we kept playing on Sunday, and he didn't come anymore because we told him we weren't playing anymore. And that's like the worst case scenario that you have to you have to basically burn somebody yeah. like that. Yeah, we actually, and it was actually two people at the same time that we had to uh, we had to kick out mm-hmm. because uh, they were both min maxing rural lawyers. Mm-hmm. That's right, they mm-hmm. did both, and at one point. One of them tried to have his character, quote unquote, accidentally kill the entire party. Yeah, he huh. was a, I think he was like a war. We were playing DD, and I want to say he was a warlock or something. And he cast this spell that causes people to get tumors, and everyone in the party got it except for Matt because I don't know what the freaking hell he rolled. But My, uh, <laughs> I rolled a natural nineteen, 
and my const- my raw constitution score was 17. Yeah, you were. <laughs> I had I had this like crazy con save. He was basically like a paladin. I forgot what his actual name. No, no, no. That was my game. Oh, that was my. <laughs> no, no. See, that's what happened. You do this long enough, you start to cross. Yeah, cross sort of the blurred. streams. But, yeah. I, so, I would like to insert, if I may, sure, evil campaigns can be run, and they can be very fun. Evil characters, if you do them right, can be amazing things to add to the group, but most importantly, they have to understand that they are interacting with the group. They are there not just for their own enjoyment, but for the enjoyment of all involved. I'll, I'll add that one of the... <sighs> One of the roles that a DM takes on is the not just the running of the action of the game, but also sort of the meta game and and the people playing the game. And if as DM your group is not gelling, and it's it is often one, maybe two, but frequently it's just that one person who is just being a jerk for some reason. And I, I you know. It's the DM's responsibility to pull the game together and either give this person his his or her walking papers or however many chances and just to explain things adult to adult. You know, maybe this game is just not working for you because it's not working for us because of you. Um, and, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to do sometimes, but it's not worth losing a game that everyone else is enjoying just because one person's ruining it for everybody else. Or Here friendships. Friendships yes. get tested, and that yep. sucks a lot. But, yeah. you know, it, it does happen on occasion. I'm not, you know, this is like worst-case scenario, people. So mm-hmm. it's not every time. But mm-hmm. you got to kind of be the referee. you kind of got to be the, the preschool teacher rousing up the kids. Right. You're Sometimes. the referee Sometimes. inside and outside of the game. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. And you have to make sure... You know, sometimes there's little things like you'll have a character hit on another character, it'll make them uncomfortable. Or sometimes there'll be little spats that kind of happen behind mm-hmm. the scenes, and that's usually in longer games, mind you, when you've got you know stuff like that going on. But this is all worst case scenario, people. It doesn't happen every time, but it can happen. So you gotta be ready. Oh. You gotta be ready to put your foot oh. down. I mean, it, do- it definitely happens in video gaming too. You have mm-hmm. trolls online all the damn time, but at least in, in that situation. You can curse profanities at them. The game is over, and you don't play with them again unless you're randomly sorted into their, you know, game. Uh, right. So you, it can be avoided, and you can also, like I said, you can video game single player mm-hmm. uh, and avoid interacting with any other human soul. <laughs> right. So speaking of video games, our our next section here is about immersion in video games. So the the people that we're going to have talking are going to be JP, Josh, Kenneth, and Rachel about what is what creates immersion in a video game. What really drags you in is, you know, how do you get that engagement? Mm-hmm. Is it the technology, the graphics, the story, the characters, the environment? What is it in video games that brings the immersion? And uh, for this section, I would like to go ahead and start actually with Josh. All right. I'll start with a brief anecdote because I, uh, when I was playing 
Fallout 4 recently and had the lights off in my library and had the headphones on where I couldn't hear anything except the game. And it was a bi- my headphones are, you know, have stereo audio and I'm just creeping along. I have the music turned off in the game, very silent, nothing out there. I'm creeping into this abandoned facility. There's no factions. And when I all of a sudden hear rustling out of my left ear and turn around and I see a death claw, I had real fear. <laughs> that and, and it's 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 funny, but it's an honest immersion. Yeah. Like yep, the that, the that the the gaming the difference with gaming video gaming as opposed to tabletop is that video gaming can provide a sensory onslaught that tabletop cannot. You sacrifice a lot of the imagination in video gaming because you are effectively playing someone else's story. Even in a game like Skyrim or Fallout where you have carte blanche to do whatever you want or Grand Theft Auto to do what you want, you are still basically playing in another person's conceptualized world. That said, the positives of the medium... I mean, like I mean the the sound design, the graphic design, especially in modern games. Although you could easily be immersed in something like Silent Hill Two in the PS2 era, just because it was so damn atmospheric. And even Mist, I would say I was in, I was definitely engrossed, enthralled by Mist. Uh, so I think that it's it's a mix. You still have the story of an RPG, especially if a game is done well. And we've actually done a whole episode on which video games have the best story because the writing in video games has come a long way from your princesses in another castle. I mean, The Last of Us and uh, Red Dead Redemption and some of the Bethesda games and a host of other games, Persona, Final Fantasy, the stories are works of art and literature in their own right. So it's... A preference of playing an, another story, but a very well fleshed out story nonetheless. It, it's almost in, a, in this gray area where you are in a motion picture, but you are the main actor in the motion picture, and everything revolves around what you are doing, which makes it a unique interaction with content. And I'm actually that argument is not wholly original to me. I have to shout out to Rob Pearson, who is uh, the uh, one of the head video makers for PlayStation Access out of UK, uh, out of the UK, uh, he did a video recently on what makes gaming distinct, video gaming distinctive as a genre, and 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 the immersion due to the very nature of the medium was one of his major arguments, and I completely agree with it. And by the way, he does follow us on Twitter, even though he has like nearly a hundred thousand followers himself. So big shout out to Rob Pearson. Uh, but I I honestly think that's that's the slight difference. I mean, as amazing as tabletop imagination and interaction can be, and I think it can be, and we'll in a minute determine which one's stronger, the sensory onslaught of video gaming is uh, can be completely emerging because our brain is wired to react to that kind of sensory input. And I think, you know, I'll, JP, I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw it directly to you because you were also not in the DM section and uh, I know that you we did you did an episode recently on the Terminator and technology and how advanced technology can be. And I would say you probably would would think the similar that technology in this case is provides a kind of immersion that's distinct and different. Certainly, 
Um, and and it takes it, it takes that and um, a lot of pieces of technology that come from outside of the game. Like I don't think that you would have felt the same sensation of fear if you didn't have the lights off and your stereo headphones on. Correct. For example, yeah. Um, we talk about immersion. Uh, another type of game that I really like to play are just the uh, the abstract, artsy, colorful, psychedelic games oh, that like usually Journey. have electric. Uh, yeah, or just very simple ones like Geometry Wars, for example. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. so bad at that game. Oh yeah, me me too. I'm terrible at it's it. It's almost like it's a fun. kind of zen. When you get yes. zoned into those games. I love games like that, and I get sucked into them, and I can play them for hours. One of my favorite titles for the, uh, the Xbox 360 when I had it was Res HD, and I'm still waiting for that to come out on Xbox One backwards compatibility, but man... Get I, on that, Bill Gates. Yes. <laughs> man, when I was in college, I would get so stoned and play that game for hours. With my <laughs> headphones off and you rolled off. an 81. Oh, I sure did, man. <laughs> I rolled a 420 on that one. Oh. Moving along. <laughs> hey, I have a D100. So. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, any, anyway, to continue my, my point, um, that those are games that I get into, and other games that I get immersed into more than any other game, believe it or not, are, are games that have no story at all. I Sports and racing games, I, I get so much more caught up in those than I do in RPGs or other adventure-type games because I'm making my own story about myself. Like when I, I, play, uh, I play Forza and Project Cars a lot, and I just I determine my driver's career mm-hmm. through his for, through start to finish, you know, and in Project Cars, you can start off racing go karts and work your way up in the world, and I've I've done that, and I get to a part where I really have to make a difficult decision that actually takes about a work week for me to do. Like now that I've graduated from karts, do I want to go into Formula One? Do I want to do rally racing? What do I want to do? Um, it's something that I that I really think about. And those plain games with no story, no human interaction whatsoever, I find myself getting more into. um, Because I I think that they have certain similar elements with tabletop gaming and just how blank the slate is for you. I'm glad you mentioned sports games because I actually like to play a, a wrestling simulator. Uh, you know, listeners who've been on the show for a while know that I like uh, wrestling, not just WWE, but any kind of professional wrestling. But what I really like to do with wrestling is fantasy booking, uh, like a booker behind the scenes. And I've played games where that lets me book uh, my own federation from start to finish. And I have more fun with that almost than any other kind of game because it lets me kind of create the storylines and matches that I think are actually really good and plan out pay-per-views months in advance and build the storyline to it (laughs) uh so very similar to tabletop in that sense but uh it is it is technically a video game yes and uh another thing that i would say at least with adventure games is i i wouldn't say that they are immersive according to the definition of the word but that doesn't mean that they're not enjoyable and that I don't really get into them. Like my my most recent obsession, if you guys have been following myself or Big Nerdy Questions on Twitter, uh, I, I've really gotten good at Cuphead, 
and <laughs> I, I absolutely do not feel like I'm the guy taking out all those cartoon bosses. No, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm helping Cuphead do it, and Cuphead and I are going through a journey together to get to the end. And when I, when I triggered the bad ending at the end of it, if, if any of you are familiar with it, uh, I felt like crap because I, you know, all, all the things that Cuphead and I have been through together, and then I went and did him like that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's not immersion. That's enjoyment of the game. But uh, And I should preface here that we are going off, uh, it's in our notes, but Merriam-Webster's definition of immersive or immersion, which is very simply a strong uh, mental interaction, right? That's, it's a... Uh, I believe that's how they phrase it. It's a very, very simple definition for a very complex issue. Yes. Sorry, so, I didn't so monopolize yeah. that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say that in adventure games are immersive and even any way near, uh, near tabletop or other blank slate type games are. Uh, but that I, I would say it doesn't make them any less enjoyable. Sorry about that, Kenneth and Rachel. I guess we've just been biting at the bit, uh, chomping at the bit. Uh, it's fine, I get it. Yeah, you're good. So let's uh, let, let's throw it to Kenneth next for the same question. All right, I I rather do agree that the distinction must be made between actual immersion and just a really good, awesome game because you can have fantastic <laughs> games that are not really truly <clears throat> full blown immersion. You think that you're actually there. Um, that being said. Josh, your example from Fallout 4, I have a very similar one, um, and actually this is this was 13-year-old me sitting, so um, playing Star Wars Jedi Knight Jedi Academy, that blasted sand creature level, I was not okay for several minutes after the first time that I walked out of that ship and heard the scream and turned around and I was eaten. So, and yes, same scenario, dark room, headphones, etc., it can be an incredibly sensory immersive environment in a video game. However, I would argue that the true the true deep immersion in which you actually may forget that it's just a game, may forget that you are not really the character that you are playing, that it can be found in some... Well, it can be found in small doses in some very specific, more sandboxy type games um like actually shout out to space engineers here because it, it is no story no no deeper mission you're just you and you're building your spaceship things like that can come close but when you're actually playing uh, sorry if i'm jumping the gun here almost into part three um but when you're playing the tabletop you are that character and that character's decisions are your decisions and yours alone you're not operating within a framework built around a game uh, it sounds to me, and I'm I'm not a big video game player. I my thumbs don't coordinate well. <laughs> um, but it it the one of the things that I'm hearing as a as a sort of a common theme here is the notion of puzzles. And uh, again, I'm an abstract strategy uh, board game player, and to me, the best of the abstract strategy games are puzzles where. I make a move and I'm presenting you with a new puzzle that you have to then try and resolve as best you can with your move and it comes back to me as a completely different puzzle. And those sorts of things where it's really just kind of you you, you close off your attention 
to a lot of the things around you, and you're just very, very focused, immersed in that puzzle, whatever that puzzle is, whether it's a video game, whether it's it's trying to get out of a dungeon, whether it's just these pieces on a you know plastic bakelite pieces on a piece of cardboard with a grid on them are uh, are mm-hmm. can be just as immersive as anything else. I agree. Uh, actually, I haven't played it yet, but I have been told by people who have played it that The Witness, uh, a video game that came out recently, I think in the past two years, essentially is just an island that you explore with hundreds of puzzles that are all variants in the same kind of mechanic. But the thinking, people who have played the game and completed the game because it's very challenging, say that not only does do you feel immersed when you're playing the game, but the logic that goes behind that mechanic, you start seeing the puzzles in real life and start calculating <laughs> these things in like at the grocery store or at work because it completely changes the way your brain is thinking about spatial relations. Hmm. I mean, that's... So what did you say the name was? The Witness. Uh, it's called The Witness. Oh, I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, so uh, it's a very immersive... It's very much a spiritual successor to, to Mist that right. takes advantage of the much more robust processing power of the current generation of games, uh, but very much in line with the kind of non-linear thinking that Mist made famous. Okay. So, uh, Rachel, what do, you, what do you think about this? Uh, I agree with everybody, but I'm also kind of going to go a little differently here and say, for me, immersion is I have to find out what's going on next. I have to. I have to know what's going on with the story. I have to know how awesome my character is about to be. I have to know. That, for me, is immersion. The, the must get back. No, I don't want to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip dinner and keep playing. You know, it's almost like binge gaming, you know, at some point, which I don't recommend doing, you know, just, just, just as a safety, health and safety board. Don't do that, people. Take breaks. Eat. Drink. Go to the bathroom. Okay. But don't do all nighters if you have to work at eight in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. The all nighters. <laughs> things I've learned the hard way too many times for a uh, thousand Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't. You don't want to do that. But I, I like. I, I just recently uh, finished Persona Five, and at first, all Persona games are a little slow because they're kind of getting into the world, and then it, there was a point where I'm like, Oh no, who am I going to date? Oh no. Do I have time to study before my finals, uh, before my midterms? Uh-oh. And, and, I, and I had to know what was going to happen. I had to know what the next dungeon was going to be like. I had to know how this character story, this, you know, with social links, how the character was going to, how this character was going to um, finish their, their little crisis. I had to know these things. And I get like that with lots of games. And even stuff like, like, oh my god, one of my favorite games of all time is Final Fantasy Tactics. And it's a tactical, it's a tactical uh, turn-based RPG, but the story in that one was just freaking amazing. For me, it's not, for me, it's not even the story or the graphics or the music, which are all very important factors. And, and yes, uh, Josh, I have had a jump, jumping and screaming in Fallout 3 moment before, and I didn't have headphones on. I'm just jumping. So, <laughs> it's terrible. Like, I forgot what it was, but I was absolutely terrified. And Oh, oh it's when the ghouls run at you out of nowhere. That, that sound always freaks me out. So, hey, uh, Matt's watching me jump when he goes to walk into a room and he can see me jump. But, for me, it's the gameplay. How engrossed am I in the gameplay? Am I enjoying... The battles, am I enjoying the strategy of leveling up my characters and crafting equipment or whatever's going on? For me, it's the gameplay. If the gameplay is interesting, I will go back in 
and I will go back into that world and I will do more more stuff and and that's for me for me the most important part of gaming immersion oh and I want to go ahead and throw out uh, visual novels especially ones that have choices are fantastic for this you get a lot of lot of reading but especially ones with bad ends man I've gotten some of the worst bad ends where I, sometimes the bad end I actually like better than the, than the than the good ending but that doesn't happen all the time and I, and of course I'll like babble off to babble on to Matt about it and he'll just be like what because that's not his genre mm-hmm. but uh, yeah gameplay absolutely how much are you engrossed in, in in having to go back in there and, and play some more and they have genres now that are entirely basically like heavy rain for playstation 4 is basically a movie where you make choices the telltale games yes. are pretty much novels that they're basically like choose your own adventures but in video game mm-hmm. form yeah, visual novels are kind of like that the ones that have choices i i, I would also yeah. consider like choose your own adventure yeah i loved heavy rain and the people who made it even said you should only play the game once <laughs> because even though it has multiple endings and multiple routes, uh, for them it's important for you to have your your own version of it. And if you if you play it multiple times, even though I would argue it does have good replay value, for them they think it kind of ruins it being your own individualized version of the story. And- of playing of, of looking at a choose your own adventure book and sticking one of your fingers in one spot in case you die so you can go back and you know because i think guilty all- I, I i have no idea what you are talking about yes and, and so yet with heavy rain one of the achievements is acquiring all 21 endings yep yeah which that's goes so i mean that's a whole other issue of how achievements can change yeah. gaming but that's honestly just briefly one of the things that gets me out of video games because I start like going to kill a chocobo over and over and over and over and over and over because I have to kill a hundred of them in a minute for an achievement, just as an example or dodging lightning bolts or something weird. All right. It brings me out of the immersion because I'm like, okay, I I was, my character probably should go save this person, but I have to go find the hidden hand grenade in this level. And, uh, I'm going to go do that now. I don't care if they're stuck on, you know, stuck being tied to a maniac, psychopathic person's table. Oh, no. I'm going to find this (laughs) hidden object. Or as Metal Gear Solid 3, I'm going to go shoot a freaking frog in the middle of a Russian-Soviet base. Not a real frog, a squeaky toy frog. I kind of want to do that. Yeah, so I I know that we're running short on time, and, and Tom needs to go... Uh, but before you have any, before you leave, Tom, do you have a final word on which one do you think is more immersive? In uh, I have a, a very hard time uh, saying that uh, role-playing games or any kind of tabletop game is going to beat the uh, sensory overload experience of what amounts to a movie, uh, where you've got uh, you know your entire vision, your audio senses, your your um, you know, goosebumps running up and down your skin. I, I, I have a hard time saying anything's going to beat that. Um, even my favorite uh, tabletop games, as immersive as they are for an evening, don't come close to... I mean, I've never jumped when uh, I've seen a new card come out or a new piece come out. <laughs> so I, uh, 
I, I, I bow in the general direction of video games. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us. And uh, we will, of course, let you know how the, the final answer comes out. But uh, thank you so much Indeed. for joining us. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime, thank sir. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye, Tom. Bye. And Matt, you can uh, take it back from here. All right. So. So uh, I, I think I'm I'm the last one left to uh, to talk about uh, the topic of video gaming, as uh, as many of our panels know, and maybe even some of our listeners. I've been playing video games for almost my entire life. I've been playing since in television, and I've played almost every major system that has come out since the end of the 1970s. I actually own about half of them currently. And so I've, I've played a ton of video games in my life. It may be slightly unhealthy at this point. Uh, but I think there's a lot of things that go into immersion in a video game. And for me, the big thing is my ability to interact with more of the environment. So I tend to get better immersion out of sandbox-type games uh, like the Elder Scrolls series. And so more linear games, I I tend to lose that immersion, uh, like with platformers or even with uh, puzzle games. And yes, I will admit that, that part of it can be the graphics because... If it does look more realistic, I'm more likely to have a visceral response, like it, it just an immediate reaction. But the the ability to really interact with everyone and maybe trying to have more dialogue available, like they tend to do with uh, with newer sandbox games, helps with that. And other than that, really, all the other points I have 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 already been discussed and. You know, I'm going to leave that poor dead horse alone. (laughs) (laughs) So if no one has anything else on specifically on video games, I'd like to go ahead and move on to our final topic, which is tabletop versus video gaming. And what we're going to do here is go over what what our individual pros and cons for the mediums in comparison are. And what our overall decision is on which one is better for giving you your escapism that you need to get away from the insanity that is the world we live in. And uh, unfortunately, we did run out of uh, time for Tom's availability. And so I would like to start with Kenneth. All right. I would say we have noted several times here, actually, each of us has a slightly different definition of immersion. So immersion can be different things for different people and can, even if we're using the the basic definition, which is the, the feeling of the, the, the feeling of being within what was the Merriam-Webster again, Providing, involving, or characterized by a deep absorption in something. Yeah, deep mental absorption. Um, Even if we're using that, 
that can take different things for different people. So I personally would argue hands down that in my case, so specifically for my immersion, pen and paper will win out every time because you are you are you. You're just you with magical powers and an awesome sword doing things whatever you would do within this particular universe. That being said, video games are stronger in that they provide the visual and the auditory sensation, which some can require. I find that um, actually there are a host of YouTube tracks that can help with the audio sensation if you're DMing and need background noise. And mental imaging, honestly, that does it for me. So I'm going to go ahead and cast my vote for pen and paper. All right. So we do have our first vote. So uh, next I would like to uh, go to Rachel, and then we will have... Then we will after her we will have the Jays and then myself. The Jays, like they're fans. <laughs> the Joshes. Uh-huh. Well, I, I I'll be a Blue Jay. I, that's fine. <laughs> um, I really enjoy pen and paper. I like running it. I like playing in it. Uh, sometimes I actually like running it better. It just depends on what system we're using and how much time I have to play in between sessions. How much <laughs> I can get to do it because that's always a problem. You almost like to make it a part-time job sometimes. Uh, but I'm going to go with video gaming. The whole factor of the of the different senses, the different, you know, graphics, sound, dialogue, characters, whatever. They're, that's all great. But honestly, the more I think about it, my, my point earlier is for... Sorry, I had a brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what post-production is for. Yeah, I know. Um... I lost the word that I was... Gameplay? Thank you. Gameplay. For me, gameplay is still a bigger factor. Um, there are some games that don't have good gameplay. I usually don't... I honestly don't, don't continue if a game doesn't have good gameplay. But because I can just, you know, after dinner, sit down and play however many hours I want, um, and, and I have the itch to get back into it to play more... Um, for me, that's that's the real draw here is that you have to go back and do it. You have to, and especially if you know people who also play the game, and you can like swap stories about stuff. Like, ooh, wh- which girl did you go after, and uh, uh, you know what kind of character did you play in Skyrim? You know, and maybe you'll figure out things you didn't know about it by talking about it. I like that part. So for me, for me, as much as I love tabletop, which I absolutely do. I I kind of like the, the the gameplay aspect that is that is unique to video game. Okay, uh, JP. So th- there are a lot of ways in which tabletop gaming and, and pen and paper and, and blank slate sandbox, whatever you want to call it, uh, there are a lot of ways in which you could say the that they are much more immersive than video games and I and I no disrespect to the tabletop gaming community when I say this but the way that you phrase the question which provides me the escapism I need from the crazy world that we live in today there is nothing that I love doing more sometimes than coming home sitting in my chair get a get a coke or a glass of water 
and uh, and and just turn on a rally racing game and go driving through the woods for a, just you know a half hour to an hour after you know I've been chewed out by end users all day. So for me, the answer is going to be video games on that basis. All right. So let's turn it over to to opinion from from our true host Josh. That's right, Matt. No, uh, uh, <laughs> I always wanted to say that. It's kind of nice saying it that way. Um, <laughs> I'm obviously the least qualified of the panel to make the call um, because my experience is 98% video gaming, 2% tabletop. I, But I have done other things with imagination, and for uh, this is going to seem like an odd pr- parallel – but I was used to be an improv comedian, and it's very similar. It's much shorter time length, but you do create a similar kind of atmosphere, and it's very much immersion as the character because you don't have a choice. If you don't immerse yourself as a character, it's not believable to your audience in that case, not just to players. Um, so I know that. And then I've also, through this podcast, I would say that the Hunger Games episode we did with Disney – was a very rudimentary kind of DMing where I was sort of leading us along on an imaginary journey. Very short one compared to D&D campaigns, but nevertheless, still a journey. So, I see how tabletop is incredibly engrossing. And I agree with Kenneth in that, uh, you know, when you're playing as a character that's just an extension of yourself, it makes all the sense in the world. To do another wrestling reference, and this is completely relevant, when you are in wrestling school and they're telling you about creating your gimmick, which for those who don't watch wrestling, gimmick is your character traits. Um, you know, The Rock is cocky, Austin is a badass, something like that. They basically the same. Play- sorry, the same absolutely applies to academic presenters as well. Yes, <laughs> uh, they say that the gimmick has to be an ex- a hyperbolic extension of yourself just to work not always but it's best when that's the case uh and you get to do that in tabletop gaming in video gaming you don't have as much control over the character creation unless you're playing a sandbox game like elder scrolls if you're playing mass effect you are going to be shepherd i know femship is the correct one matt but you're going to be shepherd and your only real choice is are you going to be good person shepherd or are you going to be sarcastic slightly acerbic shepherd but the, the story will still play out basically the same uh whichever one you choose and mass effect is actually considered one of the most choice driven games in in all of the major storyline kind of driven games so that shows you the discrepancy however i do have to agree with jp and with rachel that gameplay and the sensory deprivation and sensory inclusion this makes video gaming a unique medium. Uh, it is designed, when done right, to create a sense of immersion. It can be done wrong, and there are things that can go wrong with it. Um, but I think it's designed that way, and you can lose yourself a little bit easier. You definitely can in Tabletop too. But I would also make the caveat that Tabletop's level of immersion is entirely dependent on the person. And if the player or the DM has that strong of an imagination as well as, which is a different ability, the 
ability to create mental pictures of something. That's a different ability. Uh, some people don't have that strong ability to do that to where they can actually picture what something would look like in their head. And considering how visual of beings we are, gaming has a default advantage. Video gaming has a default advantage in this case. Not even going into what may be down the pipe with where VR video gaming is going. I mean, v- already at Resident Evil 7 and VR... Elder Scrolls shows us what's possible, but when they get VR gaming to the full level of where it could go, I don't know if tabletop gaming can truly compete on a universal level. I think it's close, but I have to go with video gaming. Okay. So it looks like we currently have uh, three votes for video games and one vote for tabletop. So I I, re- I realized my vote will uh well I, I realized my my vote won't uh, won't change it but I I have to say as someone who's been playing both types of games for most of my life that video video games are fantastic and they do give some wonderful immersion but. As kind of a foil to Kenneth's points on the character as an extension of yourself, I've, I've found that uh, in tabletop playing, I can create a character who's nothing like me and lose myself into that character during sessions, and it's just, you know, everything is inside of my mind, and I can see that whole world inside of my mind. And, you know, the realities that I have to deal with every day melt away and by putting myself in the mind of a character who is nothing like me that gives me a level of escapism that i really can't get through headphones a screen and a controller or a keyboard i had one character i played which rachel's told me i'm never allowed to play again no. uh, <laughs> when we were playing dungeons and dragons at our local gaming store i made a dragonborn character who was uh, he was a cleric he was a storm cleric so he specialized in lightning and smiting and things like that and he was descended from lightning dragons so everything was very lightning based around him and he had the personality of you know the over the top Baptist preachers you see on TV who just completely just lose their minds about everything. What uh, are you talking about? Uh, I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, that was him. Except he could throw lightning, used a hammer, and he worshipped Bahamut, who he insisted on calling Dragon Jesus. Yeah, never allowed to do that again. He is retired. That would never happen in, in the video game. Yeah, but it was an absolute blast to play that character. I That's just not something that I would be able to do in a video game because y- you have you have only so many options. You know, try as they might to make it as open as possible, there's only a finite amount of creativity you can have. And you certainly can't be as freewheeling with the interactions as, and dialogue. <laughs> you, you, you can't do what, what he did and go and proselytize to a cult 
and then slaughter the cult for trying to convert him. Well, it helps that the enemy was uh, worshippers of Tiamat. Tiamat and Bahamut, um, they don't get along. So, yeah. It, I, the only reason I made him retire is because we were in the middle of this game store, and there's people shopping and milling around and whatever, and then Matt's voice would just ring out through the store. <laughs> and... Everyone was looking at him. He doesn't give a crap. Muhammad will heal you. He will heal you with the power of the blazing lightning. Pretty much. Except even more of the top, because it's Matt. (laughs) He also had a penchant for using his lightning breath weapon in the middle of arguments. It makes sense. I mean, (laughs) when my first audition for improv, the character I portrayed was a overzealous minister preaching about how the slinky was the best metaphor for salvation. So, oh, I've been there. Man, I wish I had seen that. It uh, goes up. It goes Josh up the stairs. Well. It goes up the stairs. And it keeps going and going and going. And you can't keep it going any longer. And the tension keeps a building. And eventually the string keeps a bursting with the power of Christ. <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, you're not going to see that in the next Gears of War. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think what we have here is we have a split decision with, with a slightly favoring video games with the panel. And I believe Tom did say that he, he even though he is a tabletop aficionado, he thinks that video game sensory input is just too strong to compete with. Yeah. But he didn't have time to expound on it that much. But I would say that Tom was a vote for video games as well. But video games. only, so that, that's, that's only just. For video games. But still, it's. I think even those of us who picked video games, it's super close. It's razor thin. Yeah. Oh, oh, certainly. And and I I think that there are some aspects that video games will never be able to capture with pen and paper games ever. Right. Okay. So just like the converse is true. I know it's. That's why this is a great big nerdy question, Matt, and I'm really glad you decided to pose it to us. So now that we have an answer to our – we've answered our big nerdy question, we've answered our big nerdy quiz, and we've had our big nerdy recommendation, I think there's only one thing left for us to do. Can I tell you what to do, Matt? I, I, I think that would be appropriate. Matt? Both because you always do it so well and because your first time as host has been a rousing success and I want to thank you for doing such a good job with zeal and with rolling a d20, Matt, kill the dungeon! All right. Well, Josh, let me tell you. You see, the the, the Gungan's been having so much trouble just dying all the time that he needed a little escapism. So he went down to his local game and store. And he joined him a D&D group. And as they were walking up the mountain, he had to make a dexterity check. <sighs> and he rolled a one. And he lost his foot and then twisted his ankle. And as he tumbled down the side of that mountain, he was eaten by the wicked dragon Tiamat, who then vomited him up because he tasted horrible. ha <laughs> He was so immersed in the game that it killed him. That's right. <laughs> I'll throw it to Dragon Jesus. <laughs> I thought he was going to be eaten by a, an omniscient gazebo for a second. 
Matt's Matt's preacher voice is my new favorite thing ever. See, everyone's going to side with Matt. I knew this was going to happen. No, no, I understand how it's a problem in a store. But on the show, it's hilarious. I know with this. I mean, his preacher voice and his Kermit impression are both true gems of culture. I'm hiding now. (laughs) I tell you, you keep this up, you're going to need an organist. <laughs> Speaking well, of role playing, no, uh, mm. in a gada da vida, hon. <laughs> well, I, I do have to say that uh, with our questions answered, our games recommended, and our Gungans dead, that's going to do it this week for Big Nerdy Questions. Come see us next week when we discuss. What iconic squad is going to perform best in a crisis? I'm going to be putting them through hell. Hey, you're going to be DMing. <laughs> <laughs>